0: Get ready to tune into stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast.
1: Amen. I'm so glad you're joining us today. I have a new and great friend of mine, Dennis Miraldo, joining me. Dennis is a past educator and school administrator. He's kind of a renaissance man, if you will. He is, uh, working now with schools and leadership, and I'll kind of, let, kind of let him pipe in a little bit about that. He does some individual and group coaching. His passion is for really, um, helping men with masculinity, personal growth, all of the things that uh, I love as well, which is one of the reasons I've really enjoyed getting to know Dennis. And he has, and, um, host the podcast Building Men, which I have listened to, and it's really good. So, at the risk of sending you his way, uh, I think you definitely <laughs> should add it to your list. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, I at first I w- would not love to promote other people's podcasts, but now it's like no, the message just needs to get out. That's all. Absolutely, that totally yeah. great. Yeah. So um, we connected really quickly. Uh, education. So. You know, a lot of the guys that listen to this podcast probably know that I was an educator and kind of had that, that as my past, and it, it's, it's part of what defined me. So let's talk about you and education.
0: Sure. So I started, I mean, my career began as a sixth grade math teacher. Um, I'm in central New Jersey, so I was a sixth grade math teacher, varsity baseball coach. Um, I started in the year t- 2000. I was, I was student teaching. 2001 was my first year in the classroom. And um, I basically I was on this fast track. I loved leadership right off the bat. I loved um, taking any opportunity that I could to lead in you know in the grade level where I was working. and I went back and got, I got my master's degree in, during my second year as a teacher. And after I wasn't even in the classroom five years before I got my first school leadership job and um, in the, the town where I currently live in, in Central Jersey. And during that process I was you know I was trying to understand what leadership meant my ideas around education, but more than anything, I was just on this ladder climb. I think to me, it was really important. I need to make a certain amount of money. I need to have a certain status within the school system. So I got a job as, a, as an assistant principal in 2005. And I remember, and I'll kind of weave this story in a couple different directions. I'll bring it all back together in a succinct way. Uh, I started in 2005 and immediately as an assistant principal in a junior high school, I recognized I was dealing with a million issues and they were all with the boys in the school. It was the fight, any fight that was happening, any bullying that was pretty much happening, uh, suspensions, detentions, truancy, You know, poor grades, retention. The boys were 90% of my issue. I had a good rapport with them, but I was also, they were driving me freaking crazy trying to you know rally them in and, and kind of uh, make sure that I was helping them go in the right direction. So I decided to start a, a boy social group and I called it Building Men. So this is in the fall of 2005. And part of the journey there was one, creating this connection between adolescent kids in the school. There were a lot of cliques that existed. There were a lot of issues that existed. And what I started to realize was once I was able to find a format or a form to bring these young men together, they started to recognize that there were a lot of things that they had in, in common, similar um, fears, similar goals, similar ideas about themselves and about society. So what it started to do is slowly break down barriers that existed between the, the young men in the school. Initially, when I started the group, there was a synonymous girls group. We had a really dynamic guidance counselor who had a girls group called Girls Speak Out. And it was around, you know, females having a voice and understanding what their, you know, their role was in society, what society was telling them that they needed to be as, as young women. So when I started this group building men, almost all the seventh and eighth grade boys in the school joined. They were like, you know, listen, the girls have their their group to bitch about us. We're going to have our group to bitch about them. And that's what they thought it was initially. And I was like, all right, slow your roll, Charlie. Like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what being a man means. We're going to talk about what masculinity means. And so what I decided to do was I set up our group. I I ran like 10 groups of 25 kids. It was like every day I'd get to the school at 7 a.m. and run these hour-long meetings before school started. And I had kids that were coming there to be a part of this group. And what i recognized as well was they had this really warped sense of what masculinity means or or meant and what what we found out was that they were basing their masculinity first as they were growing up about how good of an athlete they were if they were a better athlete that that was synonymous with them being a higher status or better men when they got into high school and beyond it became how many girls they could bang so there was this kind of notch on your belt idea of what masculinity meant and then beyond, it was about how much money you could make, and that somehow equated to more of a status symbol as far as being a man is concerned. And what we decided to do was figure out ways to break down those preconceived notions about what masculinity is. And we talked about if anything that you base your masculinity on that can perhaps be taken away from you, that you can lose, or you know, even by your physical being not be able to you know com- complete those tasks, you can't base your masculinity on that. You have to base it on something that it comes within. And so it was always something that I loved. I just loved this idea. And I saw how it brought these kids together. The number of, of incidents in the school really decreased you know, by tremendous numbers. Like the number of suspensions went down like 200%. It was really remarkable what we were able to do. And it was something I, I just loved. So I, I held three leadership positions as a principal in three different middle schools. And I brought that program with me, which is something, if we're going to do this program, it's gonna be part of what I do and um we would start every meeting in a circle everyone would have to shake hands with each other a good firm handshake looking each other in the eye before you know the start and the end of every meeting and it built this community and i was like this is what it's about this is what education needs to be we need to find ways to do this so as i'm going through my career in education i worked for several different you know school districts three different school districts different boards of education different superintendents and finally i got towards the end of my career, the end of my career at the time. I recognized that um, the, the, it was more becoming more about what the, the standardized test score said about our kids. So they became more of a number on a piece of paper and a way to compare our school district with the school district next door. And it became something, I, I didn't feel like I was able to um, do that program with any kind of fidelity. The, the superintendents were basically like, you can't spend your time with just the boys and you can't spend your time on something that has nothing to do with the curriculum. We don't, this is not part of our curriculum teaching. It's so
1: short-sighted. I mean, it's just so short-sighted because if you get those things in control, scores are going to go up. I mean, this is where I get so fired up about Absolutely. education because it's the same scenario, same situation, same dialogue that just like, I was just like enough, yep. enough, we're done. This is not, not I'm not, I'm cannot make the impact I to make. So that's obviously where you got.
0: Absolutely. And there was just a time where I woke up and I was like, I am not, I don't believe in what I'm doing anymore. Right. And getting out of bed wasn't like I wanted to get out of bed and go change the world with these kids. It was like I was it was more of a task that I had to do because I didn't feel that I was able to accomplish the task that I really wanted to do, which was help young men, especially. And so I left education in 2019. I, I rolled the dice and I left education, started kind of working, you know, in the realm of social, emotional learning and coaching and consulting, which was great for about a year until we got into You know, this time last year when all the schools shut down and they basically said there's no more any of that that's going on. We're not doing any more professional development. There's no more coaching and consulting going on and everything went virtual. So it was at that time where I was like, oh, shit, you know, I'm in trouble now because I left that job at the same time I was going through a divorce. So now my whole world is getting kind of shifted upside down. And I went back and I was like, what was it about for me? If I'm really going to look at myself in the mirror and try to understand what do I want my life to be about? It went back to starting that building men program. And I said, you know what? I need to sack up, put my money where my mouth is and say, you know what? This is what it needs to be about. So I started this podcast in July of 2020 and I was like, I'm going to test it out. I'm going to kind of, you know, see what happens with it. And, you know, start going back into what I believe education should be. And you know, that's where I went to. And it's been, it's been almost a year journey. And it's, for me, it's been a journey to try to figure myself out a lot of what I did, Scott, over the last year was figure out my own thoughts on a million different topics. You know, when you're about to talk about something, you have to really get an idea about how you feel about it. You can't wish you yourself in there into the and fire, then, man. <laughs> <and> <laughs> what a cool experience. It's almost like we talked a little bit before we started recording about athletics. There's this idea, and I know you know trauma well and how stressful situations, they can either serve to uh, be a damaging situation when they're toxic stress, but there's also this low level of stress that can also help to motivate you. So when there's a little bit of stress involved, like where the chips are down, you have to be able to respond in those situations. That's when stress can really motivate you. So that's what it did for me. And that, that little level of stress of kind of the uncertainty of my future motivated me to be like, you know what? I'm going to gamble on myself and this mission that I have. And it's been a crazy year. It's been a, a wild ride, but I believe in where I'm heading with Building Men. And my younger brother, Anthony, is along for the journey. I'm 44 years old, my brother's 14 years younger. So I had an interesting upbringing where i was kind of his brother slash father yeah and uh and so we're on this journey together he's more in the you know nutrition physical fitness he's a strength and conditioning coach and he's um the head trainer at a private school and so we're going on this journey together and so we're we're trying our best to help men understand what it means to be the best version of yourself in you know many different realms spiritually emotionally you know socially physically across the board
1: yeah yeah that's awesome and there's several things I want to I want to talk about. One, shame on schools for dropping these higher level things when COVID hit, because quite honestly, um, I've said this over and over and over again, and I've just seen it replay over and over and over again. COVID, either either you use COVID to build what you had and and uh, accelerate the good things, or you use it as an excuse and you shut down. School shut down. They use an gotcha. excuse. Teachers were were not being held. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna step out here. Teachers were not being held to the same standards. We had some horrible things happen. The teachers got lazy, they were doing stupid stuff. And my son was like, What is going on? And that and you'd contact them and they're like, Well, COVID's just so stressful. And it's like, No, you're just being lazy. You're caught up in all the news and all of the so the schools dump you, like, oh, we're not doing anything to be better right now. But yep. but the, the differentiator here is that. I believe this fire, this COVID fire, has, is forging incredible businesses inc- incredible movements. Um, Brotherhood of fatherhood, you know, really had to reposition our, our whole team, our whole focus because of COVID. You basically were like, burn the boats because they're being burnt for me. Let's do this. And so, I mean, I commend you for that for sure. So I know that I know that I know that something incredible is going to continue to come out of you in this building men moment. So I'm really excited. It's like, ah, fired up because you talk about schools, one, you get me fired up and they yeah. you know, they quit. They quit. I mean, teachers and educators and, and administrators literally quit when COVID hit. They did not respond. And part of that's because they're not trained in leadership skills
0: hundred percent agree with that they weren't quite sure how to make things work in that virtual or hybrid setting so what i was trying to do was teach teachers you can still connect with people virtually you and i have never been in the same physical space together yet i feel like i know you well now and a lot of the people that i that i've met and interviewed for my own podcast over the last couple months we've never met face to face or on a, in everywhere in the world pretty much and right. it's you're able to do that but you have to be conscious cognizant of it and you have to be intentional about making activities and the learning experience engaging for the kids and i agree a lot of people threw up a white flag and like you know what it's COVID. we can't do this shit right now and i'm like i'm pushing back at it i'm like no but you have to believe in it first the other thing that what we did for kids in my opinion we stole opportunities for them to deal with hardships it's it's such a disservice and i'll you know switch it a little bit into like a parenting coaching role it's such a disservice to do to, to kids, especially to rob them of dealing with hardships. They need to be able to understand when you go through something difficult, you can't throw your hands up and say, you know what? It's this difficult situation, that difficult situation. We're going to cut schools down to every other day. We're only going to go for three hours and we're going to have you know quiet time. No, it's a difficult situation. What can we do to circle the wagons, help support each other, but also teach resiliency perseverance and that kind of stick to it and stick to itiveness where when when you fall down you don't want to have someone always coming and picking you back up again i know as a parent one thing i do if, if my kids if they experience a difficult situation i'm like hey i i understand you're going through something difficult right now you can do this you can pick yourself up from it if it gets really difficult i'll be here to support you but you need to be able to pick yourself up from this difficult situation that will help serve you better as you become an adult and you're trying to function in society that's not always Easy and fair on us, right?
1: No, and I, it, it's so interesting you bring this up because there's several topics I want to cover that I know you've you've talked about. But when I was listening to the podcast, uh, your the one of the podcasts last weekend, I keep forgetting which one it was. But when I was listening to that, um, something in there triggered this this challenges thing in my head with kids, and I was thinking a lot about it because. We so want to protect our kids, like our kids, like we don't want them to get hurt. We don't want them to go through some of the stuff we went to, went through, but there is zero way that they will really learn unless they walk through that experience and walk through the, with your guidance. How to become resilient, how to respond to really scary or weird situations, yep. how to deal with bullies, how to deal with teachers that are complete assholes that have no intention of being great for the kid. They're just trying to get their paycheck. There's some amazing teachers out there, by the way, but that, you know, they're dropping the ball and, and you look your kids in the eye and say, Hey, look, life is going to bring you a bunch of idiots. It's going to bring you people who don't see eye to eye to you. They're gonna, it's going to bring you to people who are living an apathetic life. How are you going to deal with it? So you're in this situation now. We're not going to get you out of this class. I your teacher is being a complete idiot. I will agree with you. That is unfair. It's not right. Your score doesn't rec- reflect your work or whatever it is. Whatever. But how are we going to deal with this? How How are you emotionally? responding to it and how are you putting your brain in a place where you're seeing this as an opportunity rather than a breakdown and and it's the same with kids and that was what it sucked about pulling them out of a social situation but yep
0: and yeah. as learning happens when you experience cognitive dissonance when there's something that you you hear about that kind of rattles its way around in your brain and you need to make sense of it because it doesn't make sense initially that's where real learning happens so when you think about difficult situations that's the cognitive dissonance that has to happen with with kids as a principal there were so many times that i would get on the phone with a parent and they would want a kid switched out of a class they'd want me to handle a a, a disagreement between them and another student, or, um, you know, it could be a grade that they got. and And I'm saying, it's not about this situation. It's not about the grade, it's not about the class, it's not about this other kid or the teacher. It's about the life lesson that's going to come along with it. So if you solve this problem for them, the life lesson that they've learned is all they need to do is throw their hands up and say, mom, dad, I can't do this, and then it's solved for them. So what did that teach them? It taught them absolutely nothing. I tell my own kids, you're gonna get place in the class and you don't have any friends dad I don't have any friends in my class hey what a great opportunity you get to meet new friends this year you get a new experience dad I don't really like what the teacher said to me what did you say to the teacher after you didn't like the comment nothing go talk to the teacher you this is my kids are in second grade go talk to the teacher first I'm not going to solve this for you you need to understand even as a second grader you can say Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so I don't understand this I'll help you go through that you know the speech pattern how you might go about doing it but it taught my kids at an early age like they need to be able to have that kind of self-reliance and be able to understand those situations obviously if they're you know they can't handle it i would come in as a parent and, and right. help them through it but they're going to have to go through it themselves what a great lesson to teach them is like you can do this yourself even if you fail at first that failure is not the end that failure is an opportunity to to step up and learn something about yourself and you know, grow as a as a person, as a human being.
1: Yeah, here's a great example. Is my wife did a phenomenal job at this. I have to give her a lot of praise because I, I'm a little softer, and it's not until later in my life, these last few years, where I see really see that in, in letting the kids walk through fire is going to forge them. So I wasn't really in that headspace earlier because um, I was a teacher. <laughs> but, uh, um, but but but. She, with my oldest, when anything would happen with a teacher in particular, instead of jumping in, she'd say, just email them or talk to him. And she taught him how to do that. And um, she would, okay, talking to a teacher is very scary. So she would go through and she'd sometimes involve me and we'd talk about how the dialogue would work and what the outcome was. And you might not get your way. You might not, they might not see it, but at least you're heard. Well, the beauty of this is we modeled this enough times with our oldest that in the last two years, he's a high schooler. We'll say, "How are things going?" Oh, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, "Oh man, you need to shoot him an email." He's like, "Oh, I already did." I mean, he just exactly. take he or I already talked with him after class, and his teachers now, because he's he comes to them and says exactly what what the problem is, how I see it, and 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 he comes at it with a, the right perspective. He's solving problems every day. We don't even know. I mean, there, there's just I mean, he's he. It's just it's astounding to me. And, and my wife was so smart to teach him how to handle this stuff instead of jumping in. And we're doing the same with our 13-year-old our now. And he's kind of stepping into that because it, it, for his instincts, I'm scared to talk to a teacher. I'm scared to tell him what I think. And um, that's not going to build a, a resilient human. And that's a really big and important thing for me is that we, become, we, we build future adults. Those, that means they're resilient. If they're, if they're boys, they're masculine. If they're girls, they are empowered. If they're, you know, it, it's just like those things are so important. So I um, I just, I've seen the fruits of it and I, and it's hard to embrace as a parent, but it's so incredibly important.
0: And when you think about the lessons that you're learning in school, what an unbelievable life lesson that your son learned It had nothing to do with the curriculum or what was prescribed for them in that, you know, sequence of what they needed to learn in whatever grade that was. And I always, you know, in my discussions with people during the cl- last couple months, I'm saying, what were the true lessons that you learned in school and i'm guessing it wasn't anything that a teacher told you to open up a book or read a couple pages or do this project it was an experience that you had where there was an emotion attached to that experience where you were able to learn something about yourself on a deeper level so why not reinvent the way that we're even approaching schools we need to make them more experiential in nature we need to make that the kids have to understand on a deeper level how society actually works rather than memorizing facts to me that is absolutely you know the worst thing when when there's a multiple choice test or a true false test or anything like that that they they have it in their brain for that 20 minutes you have this mnemonic device to remember a couple things and then it's gone right and there's nothing that happens other than you get a numerical grade attached to that specific memory that you had for 20 minutes and it's gone forever it's absolutely crazy
1: yeah. It's asinine, but there's, there, there's another angle to this. And I, am sure you would agree. I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm sure you would, is that those things we can't necessarily change. We can, we can, we can push for change, but while my kids are in it now, it's not, it's all about regurgitate this, do this the way I want you to do it. So our role is to, Hey, for us do your best school is an opportunity to learn how to interact with people. It's an opportunity to learn how to work in hard situations. And, um, you're gonna have times as an adult where you have to appease people doing stupid things and and there's times when that's okay and there's times when it's not so it's a really great learning opportunity people are like Scott you hate you hate how public schools are how come your kids aren't homeschooled well I, I don't want to teach anymore number one um, and how come you don't go to private private schools because i want them sitting in those situations where they're exposed to all these opportunities
0: the social interaction that's such an important piece that was what was missing during the last year was that learning in my opinion happens best within a you know an engaged community where there's social interactions that's where the best learning in my opinion will will occur and that didn't happen kids had their cameras off they were muted They were watching TikTok as the teacher was just mumbling some shit in the front of the classroom or on Zoom or whatever. Learning didn't happen during that time. I mean, very, very minimal amount of learning happened. And your comment to your children, I made the same comment to my children when I'm talking to them about kind of reimagining schools. And I tell them, like, this idea is not for you. This could be for your kids, though, because, you know, a paradigm shift in the way that things are, you know, are handled on a like a larger scale basis that takes time. Um, But I do believe that that's where we need to be heading as a society. Basically, schools have pretty much stayed the same, you know, within a couple lane shifts here or there over the last hundred years. Schools are for, you know, creating factory workers. Schools are for, you know, creating people that are going to work for other people as employees, not trying to help kids understand how to think for themselves and how to be, you know, entrepreneurs and how to take risks in life. It just doesn't exist.
1: So... I was listening to that podcast this Saturday and, um, there are a few things I want to, I want to jump into because the, uh, these are really big deal. And this is really going to ring in the ears of a lot of fathers and probably mothers or adults as well. And let's, jo- let's dive into sports. Sure. So you played baseball. You were, a, I think you said you were a varsity baseball coach. Well, first of all, you, so you were talking earlier in this, in this podcast about like the masculinity is, you know, um, is first how you perform in sports. And then like how many girls you can bang in high school. Right. And then how much money you make. I'm like, mind blown. I've never thought of it in those simple categories before. It's so simple, but it's so complex. Like if we break it down and we look at that, it's like, yes, that's how people measured you as a man through those stages. And it's not until you escape that and really grasp something that you really experience some freedom in understanding who you are and your identity, but it's it's so true. So, but you mentioned being brought up, your relationship with your dad. So I want to talk about that, your relationship with your dad and sports, because I think that is so incredible um, for men to hear from a perspective of someone that's been through it, thought about it a lot, and has um, a, a like a little bit of more of a long term night or mindset on this, because I see yeah. a lot of fathers who, one, want their kids to do exactly what they did. Like, I loved baseball. You need to do baseball, 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 breathe, baseball, baseball, barf baseball. Like, it's like, shut up. Let your kid experience things, right? Um, I tell a story many times about my dad wasn't thrilled that I was a skater, but instead yeah. he built a half pipe in my backyard. It's like, I'm going to embrace it. I'm not going to go. He's like, I'm not going to go skate, but I'm going to embrace the things that you enjoy but I see so many parents just shoving their kids into these sports and, and like, just it's, it's crazy. So I'm curious kind of what your mindset around all of that is. So this is a
0: deep dive. And as you were talking, I started just to think, and it, it's an emotional journey back in time for me. And so I played three sports primarily growing up. I played football, basketball, and baseball and baseball was my main sport. That was my, that was my one sport that I pretty much excelled. I went on to play college baseball as well as a pitcher. And I remember at a young age, once my father identified that I was gifted in in that sport, um, our teams did really well. Uh, Every year, you know, the team that I played on, we, we pretty much finished either in first or second place in the league and, you know, in all stars and, and things like that, you know, as, as I went along in that sport, but I could, I could recall very vividly not wanting to disappoint my father. I felt like my relationship with my father was based on how well I did on the field. So I'll give you an example. If I could go back to I'm 11 years old and you know that year I was one of the better pitchers in the league and I would go in and I would, in a game, there's 18 outs. I would strike out 16 kids in a game. Like it was those kinds of things that were happening. I was a good hitter. If I struck out, I would immediately start crying mm-hmm. immediately because I would look over and just see the disappointment on my father's face and it just it hit me at this level. Once I felt like I disappointed him in any way, that was it for me for the game. So I was a, a, a good pitcher, but then I couldn't hit the strike zone after that. It just because it, it got to me in such a deep level. What he did, too, was I, I feel this way. I know it wasn't I, he was trying to motivate me to be better. I know that that's the case, but the way that he did it was not in a way that I would ever do it with my own children. He It was very extrinsically. So he would say to me, Dan, if you hit a home run, you know, in this game, I'll, I'll give you a hundred (laughs) bucks or, you know, if during the season, if you can hit 10 home runs, I'll buy you a brand new bike or whatever the case may be. And so there was always this level. If I, I needed to do something to get a reward, but that reward was attached to his acceptance and his love. And there were so many times growing up where I have these negative memories of even after the game was over, we, we would sit in his van driving back from the game. And if I did well, I felt this level of acceptance and love from my father. He never told me he loved me ever until I was like 40 years old, but I never felt that from him. If I did poorly or our team lost or I made a big mistake in the game, I got the wrath. It was just this level of, you know, verbal abuse at me for whatever happened in the game. And I just remember, you know, again, it would, I would be bawling my eyes out on the way home. So I always based my relationship with my father around how well I did athletically. For some in some ways it pushed me to, you know, to excel in certain sports because I didn't want to disappoint him. But what it also did was it wasn't coming from inside of me. I was trying to be better in whatever sport because I wanted a relationship with my old man, not because I really, really love the sport. And that it was a it was a mind F for me. It really, you know, and so what it also did for me was help me understand as I, you know, got into coaching and, and you know, um, experiencing things as a father with my son. I don't talk to him about the game after the game is over. It, it, whatever happens, good or bad, we, you know, we're driving home, even my, my daughters, whatever the sport is, we're driving home from it. We'll talk about anything else in the world, not the sport, unless they bring it up. If they bring it up, I'd be happy to talk to them about it, but I'll talk about anything other than whatever that sport is because I don't want them to think that my love or my relationship with them has anything to do with anything that happened on the athletic field. I think too many fathers right now are, it's like this glory days kind of thing. You hear the boss playing in the background where they're trying to live vicariously through their child's performance, but what they need to recognize, one, you'd have to ask your kids like, is this do you love doing this? Do you love this sport or are you doing this because you think that this is what I want you to do and that's how you're validating your job as a son or your job as a daughter like I you need to do this for me. So that was a big mind shift for me as well. And then I had a couple coaches that one coach really helped me become a better person, my baseball coach in high school, and that's I'm one of the reasons why I think I love that sport so much. And then I also had a coach that shamed me that I, I I felt shame in, during my basketball season, and I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", 220. I was, you know, I was able to jump high in high school, I, but I felt shame if I did something wrong, I got blasted and I got called out in front of the entire student body at games and I felt embarrassed. And from th- that experience, I didn't want to put myself out in, in challenging situations. Like I remember, Scott, that there were times where if I would have, you know, take it come off a screen i could have gotten a wide open layup at the basket but i was afraid of missing a shot so i didn't do it i i shied away from a situation like that because i was worried about making a mistake in front of a larger group where in baseball when i had a coach that was like this unbelievable person and even when i made a mistake he would say hey let's let's talk about all the good things that happened there and let's let's visualize the next time that it happens in a really positive way for you so i i felt empowered by him and I would take any risk ever playing baseball because I just felt that this level of confidence because of the coaching that I had. So there's so much there, especially masculinity and fathers and sons around sports. I could write a book just about those relationships that I had with my, my father. And that's just scratching the surface. There's a lot, I, I, could, I could sit on a therapist couch for 10 days talking about all the shit that happened when I was growing up with sports.
1: Well, there's- Hey guys, this is Scott. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, but I did want to interrupt for just a second because I am super passionate about a new tool that I've found and been using for the last month or so. And if you're like me, the thought of writing copy puts me in two cold sweats. But we all know that writing blogs, social media posts, web copy, ads, and more are part of life and can make a considerable impact on moving the needle to success in your business or job. We all know how difficult it b- can be to wrangle ideas, action words, and details, not to mention time constraints fear not. I have found a solution that allow will allow you to easily crank out stunning copy in minutes. It's Jarvis, guys. It's probably hit your social media feed and you think it's too good to be true, but it is not. Jarvis is the latest artificial intelligence technology that will help you create content at lightning speed with little effort on your part or hefty fees for writers. You fill in two easy steps and it'll lay out Descriptive paragraphs, both short and long form articles, bullet lists, social media posts, blog posts, ad copy, SEO copy, Google ad copy. It gets super detailed. There are tons of templates to choose from. It's totally up to you. It's two steps. And it blows me away every time I use it. In fact, it just keeps getting better and better. So if you're like me the thought and thought it was too good to be true, trust me. This product kicks ass. I literally use it every single day for per- personal and professional use. Just go try it for free and use my link. Uh, and it's in the show notes. I'm not going to read it to you because it's crazy, but go into the show notes, click on the link, sign up for your free trial. You will never look back. And this is a great way to support this podcast. Super simple for you, for your business. Send it to your boss, send it to your friends. It will revolutionize workflow. The link is in the podcast notes. And if you want to support the brotherhood of fatherhood, this is a great way. So much social prep. There's so many things going on here. One, I can remember the one time I bribed my youngest. And this is, I'm not proud of it, but we were on the way. And he could be aggressive, but he's not. And that was like the missing link. Like we're going to basketball. And I'm like, if you foul out today... I'll give you X. Like, I'm like, like, I want, like, I want you getting in there. Like, I'm like, wow, what a dork. (laughs) But uh, I knew it was kind of like the missing element to him. Yeah. Being out there and really shining was his aggressiveness. And so I'm now in this manipulation mode. And when I really think about it, do I care if he was aggressive? Like, yeah, it's awesome. It's great. But really probably the bottom thing was I didn't want to be sitting there and my kid's not the aggressive one. It's all about me. And that's not yes. helpful to anybody. <laughs> and, um, and, and I also, I remember talking to someone who was, you know, was an expert in this. And they're like, don't have a conversation with your kids on the way home after a game. You don't talk about the game. That was his number one thing. You no. don't, do not talk. Win, lose, draw, you do not talk about it unless your kid wants to talk about it. And then, um, and and so that really stuck with me. It's like, wow, that's really hard. Um, you know, I love to say good job, like you didn't win, but your effort was, I like to point out those things that they did well. It's never based on you scored or you did like, I saw you hustle, like, and you listen to the coach and you were looking at the coach in the eyes. And then we've always taught like after a game, after every game, after every practice, you go look your coach in the eyes and say, thank you coach and shake their hand. Absolutely and, agree with that. And, and so those are the kinds of conversations we kind of like circled around and like, okay, these are the conversations we're going to have. And so then sport probably becomes fun. It's like, oh, yeah. I totally
0: agree with that. And just to put it like like a closure on that, to when you think about the idea where the conversations that you're having, one, as an educator, you know, once you get past like two sentences, they shut off anyway. So it's like this idea of a sage on a stage, and you're just like drumming information into their brain. They're not listening. There's an emotion at attached to whatever the sporting event was, they're not hearing anything anyway. So basically you're talking to get shit off of your chest because you're not happy with the way your child performed. Exactly. That's a big part of it. Think about it, even as, as adults, as men, when we hear something new or something happens with us, it takes us a while to process through our feelings on whatever it is. If there's an, you know a disagreement at work, if there's a challenging situation with a significant other, it, you, it's not an immediate thing like, oh, I know how I feel about this forever. You have to kind of let it sink in and marinate and like, okay, let me think about how I feel. Why do I feel this way? All right, I'm good with this now. When our kids have either success or failure on a, you know, on a court or on a, on a field, let them have the opportunity to think about it a little bit. Go through that process of that self, you know, looking inside, looking internally. Then after they've had an opportunity to, to kind of come to terms with it, now we could have a conversation about it. I mean, as as an adult man, like I have to like work through some shit in my head, how do I really feel about this? All right, I'm good with this. Now let's have a conversation about it. Again, we're robbing them of that experience. Think about the hardship conversation we had before. We're robbing that experience of our kids fully feeling into a situation and understanding what that means. That will serve them better as adults when they can fully feel into whatever the emotion is. Too often as adults, as men, we push that emotion down. We don't let it, and then it's like shaking up a soda bottle and it fucking explodes in some way. Right, We're not letting them do that as, we're not letting them fully experience that that situation there either.
1: This is just, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. These are opportunities to learn from failure, from experience and we can completely crush it if we uh dominate that conversation like you said that after two sentences their mind's gone they're stuck on like how do i make this better how do i i mean there's so many self-shaming type of things that can happen (laughs) you know and so um yeah i mean i've done it wrong many times i have
0: to i I definitely have to i I don't want to like to like make anybody think that i haven't made mistakes I absolutely have but once I started to think about oh man that's something that that my old man did that I didn't appreciate Um, I need to take a step back and I'll have a conversation my son is Denny I would say to him Den listen you know the way that I handle it I would like to you know talk about it because I don't feel like I handled that in a way that was the best for you dealing with a difficult situation where maybe you know he's the the quarterback at the high school you know maybe he threw a pick and you know I was talking about it right after the game I was like you know, maybe we need to, let's talk about it tomorrow. I made a mistake by bringing it up right away to you or whatever the case may be.
1: Well, that brings another point that I'm really passionate about is like, when you make an error, when you make a mistake, whether your kids are present or not, I don't like really talk it through it with my boys, especially if it involves them. Like I was hot headed. Here's what was going through my mind. This is how I should have responded. And I want you to learn from this experience. And I think that's where men need to kind of let go of our pride and like, we're never wrong, you know, stuff it down, no, embrace it and let your kids grow from it. Boy or girl. Another thing that I've noticed is especially in middle school, and I'm sure it happens in high high school, but my boys, you know, played in middle school. My oldest doesn't play in high school, but um, is boys looking for their father in the stance. I mean, I can think of like 10 kids that I n- noticed this year in in basketball and football and whatever, as soon as they either made a play or missed a play, the first thing they would do is look at their dad and um, one dad's not coach coach is coach. Uh, and two, for me, I've noticed this as um, an opera. I mean, it's, it's, something's wrong there. If they're needing affirmation, I'm sure maybe you were a, co- uh, a bench looker because your dad really praised you for the, For your performance that was where you got your validation it's sad it's so sad to me they'll miss high fives from their friends because they're looking at their dad and um and it's just it's just sad and then the other element that i've seen a lot is a kid who looks to his dad who i look over and he's on his phone during the game
0: oh yeah oh man forget about
1: it we got two problems here we've got the over-attentive parent and then we've got the the distant non-attentive parent who can't put the phone down and i've been super I've done this really bad, but you can't put the phone down for 45 minutes. Work is not that important. Facebook is not that important. Insta is not that important. But then, man, for your kid to catch that, that's a bad. That's a bad deal.
0: So one, I I I totally understand where you're coming from. I was the one who would always look over to look at my dad, and there were times that my son would look over at me. Not my girls so much. They don't, you know, that it's whatever. They're more like they they want to have fun with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But my son would look over, and I'd be like, "Listen, you don't have to look at me. I'm going to be watching," but don't you don't have to look at me especially i remember looking and getting that look of disapprovement from my father where when i was playing high school and college sports like he he would give me this disapproving look and i'd be like oh it would make it even worse for me so i tell my son like don't even pretend i'm not even there i'm like a you know i'm, I'm a bench i'm a i'm a tree in the background you don't have to but the, the whole thing with with the phones i mean it, it we could do we can probably do two full hours just on devices like being attached to those devices i just you know, while we, we do need them for for our work or whatever, it's not – you need to be fully present in that situation. What is? What are you communicating to your – if you're there but you're not there, it doesn't it, – it's not a truly authentic experience. Put the damn thing down for 45 minutes. You know, maybe you, you take a video of something that's going on or whatever. But other than that, right. you don't – you can be away from that, whatever it is, for an hour to be – to fully experience your child doing something athletically.
1: They're going to catch you. Even if you think they're yeah. not paying attention, they're going to catch you.
0: And then it sets up okay this is what's important whatever is on dad's phone and then me i'm down here
1: yeah and i think it's important to for for parents to think of it this way probably the best coaches in the world we're not talking like high school whatever we're talking about the best coaches in the world they are probably way more focused on how do you handle a situation when it doesn't go your way how do you how do you work with your team how do you communicate effectively i would imagine. That's the secret to their success. Not did you touch the ball with really nice finesse when you, you know, and all these things that maybe the parents like uh, you should have struck them out. I remember a story from my brother-in-law who played baseball and um, he, he had a coach in high school and he's a coach now and he's an incredible coach. He, he my, my brother-in-law, he's an incredible coach and he tells me this story all the time. He's like, so my coach, I'd be on the mound and he'd, he'd stop, he'd come up. He walked up to me, look looked me in the face, he's throw strikes. And he turned around and walked back to the dugout. And, the, and the, <laughs> we can't be that person who just says, do this. There's no context. And, and the question is, is like, what do I need to do differently? Are you seeing my hand release early? I mean, some of those things, right? Like, so as parents, are we just saying, throw strikes, do good, um, you know, be more aggressive. These total these things that our kids just simply aren't going to understand. I mean, or I remember my high school basketball coach saying "sack up"
0: or "man up." What the? <laughs> what does that mean? That doesn't help me make a jump shot, you know, from twenty feet. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned too, when you think about the great the greats out there, the great coaches. I think about like John Wooden coach mm-hmm. of UCLA basketball, and he had this pyramid of, of success, and there were like 26 – it just resonates me one with me about building men, these building blocks that you need to be the best you that you can be. But he had these specific things that he would teach to his players. And this was, you know, Lou Alcindor and Bill Wall and he had these greats, and he won, you know, how many championships in a row. But he – the first practice, he would teach them how to put their socks on in the right way so this way the line was lined up with their feet and the kid and they were looking at him like are you freaking crazy he's like no because this thing that you do right now like putting your socks on the right way it will help you perform better and if you're not performing at your optimal level you're letting yourself down you're letting your team down you're letting ucla down you're letting college basketball down and anybody else who's ever played basketball in their life so you need to take every little thing that you can do and be detail oriented in such a way that you know you're doing all these incremental things. And once you find success in those little incremental things, the team finds success and the program finds success. So he was so detail oriented. And it was even, you know, with Bill, Bill Walton came out there and I forget what it was. His hair was in a certain way. And he was like this top college, you know, recruit. And Wooden was like, well, you know, you have to, you know, you have to have your hair cut or you have to have your socks pulled up. And he's like, sorry, coach, I'm not going to do it. He's like, well, we'll miss you. You know, that was it. And he, he didn't even care, but you have to understand that the, the those little things in the program comes before whatever that individual was um, because of their ego or whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah, it, it, there's so many lessons that can be learned from sports. You know, I think it's just as parents, 95% of the time, if they're involved in their kids' sports, they're doing it wrong. Another thing that I feel pretty strongly about, and I don't know how you feel about this, but there was a dad who put a, put a post in our group and he said something to – maybe it was a personal message to me. I get a lot of those from dads. It's like, I've always coached my son and he doesn't want me to coach anymore. And, um, I'm like back off. Mm -hmm. He's got to learn. Like I, I, you know, the kids whose dad is always the coach and it's, it's just a little different. Um, how do you feel about parents coaching their kids?
0: I think if you have something to offer, the, the, the group, the group of individuals and your, your child. And I would even have a conversation with my kids before. Are you okay with dad coaching? Like, is that, is that something that you're okay with? Because some kids would say, no, dad, I don't want you to coach. Then you have to take a step back and realize it's not about you. You know, it's not about you in that situation. What you're trying to do is set your child up for success in the you know most optimal way possible. I did coach my kids. My father coached me in baseball all through the years and he i i believe that he loved coaching and i believe that that was his way of showing love to me and, in a right. weird way was by coaching me but there were so many times that i was anxious and nervous because he was my coach um i really started to excel when he took a step back you know once i got to you know high school around that that age 14 15 years old but as a, you know, to, to answer your question, is it okay for, for dad to coach? Somebody has to step up, you know, somebody has to, to take a dad. that role and there yeah. has to be a dad that's going to step up. So if you have something to offer as far as helping inspire, help motivate, help teach the skills that are associated with the game, and you're doing it in a way that you're helping kids, their mindset, it's not about, it's not about you and it's not about your ego. It's about helping the group of kids. I think it's perfectly fine, but I think the conversation has to happen with your kid. You know, it's t- it's tough to kind of let go of that control. But, you know, hey, Jimmy, are you OK if if I assist Coach Scott this year um, on the baseball team? And if he's like, Dad, you know, no, I don't want that. All right. You know, I'm OK. I'm OK with that. I think some dads are so no, no, no. I'm coaching because I know more than anybody else out there. And then they sit up and if they're not coaching, they're sitting there complaining about the coach not knowing what the hell he's doing. And then absolutely
1: well I think I think maybe a better question to ask is your kid beforehand even if you're planning on coaching is uh, how do you, how would you feel if I wasn't your coach this year and find out what their thoughts are because it'd be like oh no I I, I don't want to do it well maybe you need to step away because you're their crutch you know and they yeah. need to go through some hardship and some discomfort or like you know get to the root of why your kid wants you or doesn't want you as your coach doesn't mean you're going to go that way. Like maybe you just say, you're not just to see what the response is. Or maybe you say, Hey, I've been thinking about not and see what the response is or vice versa. Um, you know, because I've seen a lot of kids who have been coddled and told they were incredible and they're the best. Well, here's the thing. They're getting every play time possible because their dad's a coach. Ah, That's like the worst thing to me. It's like, your kid actually kind of sucks they need to go through some trials and tribulations to actually sack up like whatever that means but you you know what it means but you know at that point so i'm just challenging men who coach what's your what's your motivation and then how is it affecting your child is it giving them the best opportunity for growth are you doing this for you like what is it
0: and think about it this way i use the use the analogy of like the the NFL coach, you know, you have the the players coach you have like I'm i I'm a Giants him a New York Giants fan. I might lose some followers right there. Despite <laughs> out there but um, you had like the Jim Fossil, who was the players coach. They loved him. You know, they could have pizza in locker room and play, you know, PlayStation. And once they fired him, they went in the other direction of to Tom Coughlin, who was like, if you're 10 minutes early, you're five minutes late to my to my meetings and to whatever. Yeah. all the way to the other direction. but with the Giants at that time, they needed that like tough stern stoic coach. help them achieve at the optimal level because they were hearing the same message from the players coach for such a long time so think about it in this way if you're if you're the only voice in your kid's ear in a specific sport maybe you're doing them a disservice because they need to hear it in a different way maybe the message if it's communicated in a different way with it from a different voice from a different background perspective maybe it clicks in a way that it resonates with them and they're able to achieve better because of the way that the message might be communicated i know the way i want my coach to be if i'm being coached I know what I need from a coach. Conversely, like I know that I need to hear things in another way sometimes too. I need a coach that, that'll kick me in the ass sometimes. It would be great to be stroked and, oh, you're doing a great job in this and that. But there are times I'm like, I need somebody to say to me, you're not giving your best effort. You need to put, you need to, they need to challenge you in a, in a deeper way. And sometimes that can help as well. So just, you know, the different messages you might hear from, from different voices and different coaches that might be, be a positive thing for your kids as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Variety is incredibly important as well. And, you know, you can end up with a horrible coach and it's a great learning opportunity. You know, you know your season might suck, but it's a great opportunity to learn how to lead, how not to lead. We, we, we can use those opportunities as parents, talk our kids through some things. Um, so we started with this with your dad. You you'd said that, you know, your value, you kind of placed the value because of it, great mug by the way um <laughs> for those of you listening he has a brotherhood of Father mug yeah
0: i mean i'm i'm wearing this thing out I, I haven't stopped you know drinking out of it every day since i got it
1: it's so funny I, I i gotta get back to that point but it's so funny because when i when i chose what mug it was there was you know it wasn't a bigger mug and i was a little worried about that but it was i literally bought it for its ruggedness it's a restaurant grade mug so if you drop it it might not break i was like that's a pretty good thing for a guy I dropped like five of them once from high up I store them high up and none of them broke I'm like whoa yeah (laughs) like okay I might have to fill it twice as much but it's not going to break and that's important And it
0: doesn't that. get the coffee stain inside of it either nope. that's a testament no. to the quality of the mug right. it doesn't get that brown stain on the
1: inside guys order your freaking brotherhood mug and shirt and stuff it's a steal i sell those for the price i paid for all that stuff by the way i, I, I people just don't get it i'll tell they,
0: you what the t-shirt is tremendous I, I i'm buying building men t-shirts and i asked you about just the the kind yeah. of t-shirt it's one of those t-shirts that it, it's tight in the right spots we've all yeah. had those t-shirts that <laughs> that are tight in the wrong spots it, yeah. like yeah. your arms feel a little bit bigger it's soft it's comfortable yeah I, I dig it
1: yeah I, I did that because I found that yeah. shirt years ago and I everything I print is on that shirt because it it's fast yeah pass. Yep. um <laughs> yeah so your dad you you, you grew up kind of with this like my performance is how I I get my dad's you know love and he didn't say you know, really, it doesn't sound like he said, I love you, son, or anything of that nature. Have you been able to kind of circle back and and work through that with him? And let's talk a little bit about how that looked for you, if you did, or how that affects you now?
0: Yeah, I I was able to. Um, He finally, I think the first time that I heard I love you from my father was probably in my early 40s. There were a couple times that I heard that he was proud of me um, throughout the course of my, you know, upbringing or whatever. But for the most part, it was, you know, this carrot that hung there for me, that I was always trying to aspire to get that. And it was through like a deep journey that I was able to kind of come to terms with it. But just recently, I had him as a guest on my podcast. I'll actually publish it on Father's Day with my younger brother. We interviewed my father. And during that time, I was able to just understand a lot more about how he was raised He was really secretive about his upbringing. A lot of things, a lot of family trauma that he had to deal with, and it helped me understand why he was showing up the way he was. He placed so much emphasis on athleticism to get to to feel a certain statue statue in the or or stature in the community and with his friends and this and that. It was the only way because he didn't. He barely passed high school. He had no aspiration to go into college. He just wanted to work, and he was a good athlete. So that's how he got uh validation in his peer group so sports were so important to him so in his mind for us to be successful as young men uh, my brother and i were asking about it he felt that that was how we did it we need to be good athletes we needed to be really good performance wise so this way we can enjoy the success that he was able to feel but in his mind he never he never talked to us about any of those things it just that's what he believed i've been able to really I, I could do another deep dive in, into just other situations that happened in my life that really messed me up mentally. Um, but I believe that he was doing the best that he knew how to do. I, I don't think he was doing anything maliciously or intentionally. It was at that time, he thought that that was what I needed to hear to to be motivated and to be the best me that I could be. Um, it, it, it helped me understand things in, in a deeper level. And the, the journey that I took to get to where I am now, it's a, it was a longer journey, but I still wound up where I am right now, understanding that he did the best that he can do and we've had conversations about it i've learned about his motivation on a deeper level um and we've had those tough conversations and i'll tell you what if um you know for me having an opportunity to, to like interview him has been such an amazing experience learning so much about why things happen the way they did that i never had an opportunity to ask him or never thought to ask him and now you know on this journey that i've been on i'm so interested in in masculinity and and how you know men think and and how they show up it you know sparks such an interest in how my father was raised and it's helping me i believe become a better man and father for my own kids
1: there was a time when um i was posting a lot in the group and asking questions and several men would respond as like you know what do you expect from me i didn't have a good example that was literally the answer and i'm like wow man you're going to lose you you're just going to lose because really you you said he didn't know better chances are he did a better job than his dad and his dad did a better job than the previous dad and i think <clears throat> it isn't what did your dad screw up what did your father figure screw up what did the person in you know maybe you didn't have a father figure like not it's not what did they screw up it's what can i do to avoid to improve the legacy moving forward and talking if your dad is still alive talking about these things with him no matter how hard it is i'm sure was extremely like almost therapeutic and helps you understand and move
0: and i'll bring it all the way back to our initial discussion about um robbing our kids of hardships I look at it in a different way now. It's just, it's about perspective. And so instead of being like, oh man, I wish my dad didn't do this when I was growing up. I wish he didn't. I'm like, he did these things and it helped me understand and go through these difficult situations. And it it helped me become better in 2021 because of things that happened to me in 1987. And it's a weird way to think about it. But that journey that I went on i was i was ultimately helped because of those hardships that i experienced with a, a lack of connection and especially emotional connection with my father and i look at it as now i was able to connect in a way that we our, our relationship today is better than it ever was in my whole life except maybe when i hit a, a home run off of joey pavitas you know and when i was 10 years old then i feel like that was probably the best day was my first home run but this is a close second today as as we as we're able to connect today and and it's helping me understand my, my son and my daughters. What, what can I do to show up in a way for them that will help them right now? And then hopefully they'll look back at it in the future and say, you know what, dad did the best job that he possibly could with the circumstances he was involved with. Maybe at that point, there'll be a more enlightened way to be a dad. But at this moment, I'm trying to do the best that I can. And I think I'm getting closer.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, the growth mindset. Yep. Having the mindset of, and the reflection is just reflecting on what went wrong and what can I learn from that? Like once I was able to, even outside of my parents, I had a really great upbringing, you know, we all have to go through stuff, but I had a great upbringing. But once I was able to look back at all the things that happened in school, that I saw myself as a victim or a bad situation. And I go back and like, okay, instead of looking at it that way, what did I learn about myself in that moment? What was the lie about myself in that moment? And what can I, do now to never put myself in that position again. And even more importantly, when I need to be having conversations with my kids so that if they're going through a similar thing, I can help them identify instead of sit in that and let it become part of who they are. They believe these lies. Maybe a kid says something about them. <clears throat> Maybe they're continually bugged or, or they're, they're a jock and they, they're starting to believe that that's their identity. What lies are we sitting inside of that we can help our kids see and work through themselves because those hardships will bring massive growth. And we can accelerate that growth at an earlier age and we're crushing it with them.
0: Yep. Totally agree.
1: So another thing that um, kind of stands out to me is you kind of, you entered into kind of a crazy time of year, a crazy time of year for everybody COVID and you're somewhere in the midst of a divorce. Yeah. So when, what was the timing? How did that, Kind of wrap itself around
0: um there was a i was separated in uh the end of january of 2020 and um going through so it was about two months of separation where the way we had our agreement set up where i would i was staying at my brother's place three or four days a week the kids remained in the house the whole time the kids like we made sure that the kids were in our our home the whole time whole time um i was staying with my brother three or four days a week and and my ex would stay with her parents three or four days a week and the kids remained in the house so it was was just kind of like back and forth back and forth and then with we got to you know mid to end of march when it was during the quarantine i was like listen i'm not going to be like quarantined away from my kids at any point so i moved back into the house and it was just you know bedroom couch alternate nights or every two nights or something like that it was a really um you know tough situation it wasn't it was very awkward you know it was trying to like write with the other hand it just didn't feel right um we gave it a shot you know initially like hey maybe there's a reason why we're, we're back in the situation together but ultimately it was like you know what this is not it's not healthy it was more toxic than anything else and i just saw we ultimately it was like you know my decision it, it kind of came down to she said to me i don't want to be the one to break up the family but i don't want to be married to you anymore and I'm like, all right, well, you know what, I will, I will make that decision. And I, w- let's, let's tell the kids we're going to be, we're getting a divorce. We told them at the end of June, it was right, right around July 4th, end of June, beginning of July, right around that time. And to me, that was such an, a moment, like Independence Day was such a thing. And that's when I started the Building Men podcast, it was like everything kind of shifting all at that same time. And initially I, I went through this point where I just had to rediscover who I was, you know, as as a you know as a husband as a father you're like that's so much of your identity i think as men initially people would tell me about yourself you, you say what your job is and then you go into the, the next couple of things but i wasn't the best me the way that i was showing up and i think a lot of it was just like you know toxicity in my brain it was like kind of eating away at me from the inside and i needed to shed a lot of that and truly understand who i was again and it was a it was a it was a journey it was a deep dive and i needed to i ultimately think anytime that you're going to make a shift happen in your life, you're going to change some things. You have to start inside. You have to do that really difficult look inside, look at yourself in the mirror. The other thing that happened for me, Scott, is during, I was always, you know, I was always an athlete. I always, I never let myself really go at at any point, but then during, at the end of quarantine, like quarantine, it was kind of, you know, maybe end of, end of April, beginning of May, there was a time I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, Whoa, you uh you gotta get some get it going here man i i i was like up to 255 and it was a 255 like if you touch my belly I'd be like it was very no boy so i took i took pictures of myself from from the front and from the side and i was like this is the last time you're gonna look at this man in the mirror right now i posted a couple pictures on instagram like a before and after from april to november um and you just the way that i looked i was a totally different man at that point and i went through this journey and it was a million different things i started all at the same time it was like well i'm gonna tiptoe into you know maybe working out a little bit harder maybe meditation i was like i'm pushing all my chips in i started like this this program where it was getting up super early i was meditating every day i ch- closed my eating window down to a shorter period of time i was doing push-ups and pull-ups and tw- i i just went full force forward and I really changed my physical fitness. That was a big thing. So I did the journey inward, but I also needed to move and do some physical work as well. I went up losing 40 pounds over the next like five months. And it was one of those things that the little things that I put in place, they just became life habits, life life things that I just do every day now that I haven't looked back. Um, you know, you go from time to time during Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas, Super Bowl, you eat a little bit more than you should or drink a little. bit. But for the most part, I've been able to maintain for one full year, all the habits that I put in place. and. For me it wasn't just a physical it was so much emotional and mental weight that i was able to shed over the course of that you know period of time um and the cool thing is bringing it back to the fatherhood part is my kids saw me go through this journey inward and then outward um the inward kind of started it. it i almost look at it as like a, that ripple effect like the the inward was me throwing a rock into the pond and that journey inward and then the ripple was all the things that i was able to kind of change in my life and more than anything them seeing me in this way where i was able to change things that were going on it's not it's something that um it's it's inspired me to keep going because of the way that i saw it had an impact on my kids
1: yeah uh, it, it, uh you know i'm passionate about like getting your life in order doing the things every day that are important i mean you know i i don't i, I never ever work out less than five days a week ever. Like it's just, unless the one time I had COVID and I was out for five days. Yes, okay, there it is. Um, But it's just because I took the same steps you did. I just started doing over and over and over again. They're not even habit anymore. It's ritual. It's like, it's just like, that's part of my ritual. Like you you just, I can be, I can be across the world and I'm going to get up and do the same ritual every single day because it's what fuels me. It's what starts me in the right path. And it sounds like that kind of sparked this growth inside of you. I do have to ask you a question because I've made a pretty bold statement many times. And I think it's very challenging. It's very challenging for men who've been through divorce. I'm never going to support someone in divorce, or like, I'm going to support them. I'm never going to suggest they get divorced because I, there's right. so much going on inside there and there's so much that can happen as a result. I think as a man, we have to say, hey, it's on me, it's my fault. I've, I've made that statement. Like, hey, if you're getting a divorce, it's, it's 100% on you. Now, am I an idiot and not know that women do things that drive men and women apart? Absolutely. But I would always say like, you got to continually pursue your wife, you have to treat it like you're you you, when you were dating her. and we change over time, we start doing these things. And we have this, this separation that happens. What's your response to that as a man who's fresh out of out of divorce, and you are unfolding a new life where you are seeing lots of personal growth. And I think it's phenomenal. And I would never judge you for getting a divorce. But I want to hear your perspective based on me saying that
0: it's it's such a deep question and throughout my whole entire life i mean my parents are still married and um my uncles and aunts remain remain married throughout the course so i i always thought that if you went through a divorce that you were you were a failure you gave up and you weren't the best possible you that you can be um as far i think what i did over the last year scott and I would say a year ago now, I would say I would 100% agree with you that it was it was my fault. But (laughs) the journey that I've been on during the last year, I recognize that um, while I there were certain things absolutely that I could have done better, that I could have absolutely done better. I could have been different. There's there's a shared responsibility in a marriage. I totally believe that. And I'm not going to like air any dirty laundry about (laughs) specific situations but um what i was able to do was was say to myself you know what i did i gave it my best shot you know there was a time where I even said like we're gonna we're gonna try we'll throw a hail mary here we'll see if you know if somebody could come down with it in the end zone and it got intercepted we we gave it a shot but what i recognized too was that i needed to understand that it wasn't a failure on my part i needed to to be able to forgive myself And be able to say because if I didn't do that, I would have. I would have. The rest of my days would have been this regret and like, oh, what what could I have done differently? I believe I tried. I tried at the time the best that I possibly could. And what I see is that I am a stronger me today than I have ever been in my entire life. Um, Not just like physically, I, I believe physically, I I was able to, I'm able to accomplish things now that I was never able to do in my life, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything, I'm a stronger me. If I was this way, maybe back in the day, could things have been different? I, I don't, I don't know. I think there was this, you know, divergence of like five degrees, 10 years ago. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you don't know the person that you're married
1: to. I think that's it. It's that one degree that, you know, you get on a little divergent path, and before long, if, you, if you're if you not seeing it, because it's almost impossible to see. We know this from the whole airline analogy, right? You yeah. know, where you'll end up if you're one degree off. And um, I totally respect your answer. I, and I actually really agree with you. I'm, I, I Sometimes I have to challenge my own thinking from another perspective. And I, I think that it's important to do that. That's why I asked. I didn't ask to challenge you. No, I'm, uh, I'm
0: glad you did.
1: Yeah. I've been married for 25 years. And quite frankly, there's been some rough times, but we are... We, we were very much meant for each other so it's really important for me to step into other shoes but i've seen many men who just stop they stop trying and i think that's where the where my pressure is like you you cannot stop trying no matter what and you pretty much said the same thing i threw a Hail mary here and then she made the decision like no we're we're done and you, you then you took the took the high road and made and and was the one that called that shot you 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 were the one that announced
0: because so- I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna live anymore. Where I felt like I was living in this way, Scott. That my shoulders were slumped over, and I looked like you for a long period of time.
1: And mm-hmm. I was like,
0: you know what? I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm 44 now. I, I was 43 at the time. I'm not gonna let my kids see me not put my shoulders back and be like, you know what? You're gonna go through a difficult time again. Back to that point about the hardships. I went through a hardship, but I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let my kids see me throw in the towel and be like, you know what? Just because this happened. My best days are ahead of me. My this next year is going to be my best year of my life, and then the following year is going to be the best year of my life. I I know that for a fact, and I believe a lot of it is because I had the courage to say I'm not going to live a version of me that's that's this muted, muddled, wet blanket over my head version. And a yeah, lot yeah. of the the men that I work with right now are people that are going through that difficult time that either a divorce or a loss of a job where they're they feel like they're kind of in this low. Point and they, they need to kind of rebuild. And part of the building men thing is like helping people rebuild after you've been through a challenging spot. There's such opportunity there to kind of rise out of it. It's like the Phoenix, you know, rising yeah. from the ashes and becoming stronger version based on those, those experiences. And a lot of the work that I've done, it's so rewarding for me to tell people my journey. And there's like a little like spark of inspiration that happens, but people realize that even if you feel like your fire is out, there are these little Connie kind, of, kind of embers that are there. They're just kind of smoldering and you just have to help help people stoke those embers to where the fire is back and it can absolutely happen.
1: Yeah. I think it's such an important lesson. You know, John Maxwell said this so many years ago, I think he even has a book title it's failing forward. And I think that applies to work. I think it applies to parenting. We're going to screw stuff up. I mean, I've screwed so many things up. It's not, that that's going to define us it's going what defines us is how we respond and how we grow and how we and so be i love that one of my favorite analogies actually designed a shirt once about this was rising the the phoenix rising from the ashes like we should all every time we experience something that's seen as a failure or a loss in our life or a separation or split from our, our spouse we've been married with any of those things we should absolutely have the mindset of the phoenix is like i am going to rise from the ashes because i'm going to rise an even stronger me and it sounds like you've absolutely 100 percent embraced that it's actually what almost built you to the place where you're at now it sounds like
0: absolutely there was a time that i was driving with my younger daughter and um i might have mentioned this on the one podcast you listened to uh and i'm driving and the sun was in my eyes And it was kind of like, you know, when the sun is in your eyes, it kind of, you like it, but it also, like, you got to be able to see the white line at the same time. And I went to put the visor down and she's like, daddy, keep the, keep the visor up. And I was like, you know, Soph, the the sun is in my eyes. She's like, the sun looks so good in your eyes. And I'm getting choked up saying it right now, but (laughs) she says your life she's like daddy your life it feels like the sun is always on your face now it never it it didn't look like the sun was on your face for a long time and now it looks like the sun is always on your face so it wasn't a conversation that i had with her but she just saw the way that i was showing up more for you know not only for myself but for for them to, to be a dad to be the best me that i could be they saw it it wasn't something that i told them that this was happening they just saw the way that i was in every interaction that i had in my life and and for her to say that i broke down in the in the truck driving with her and she's like why are you crying it it, it helped me rationalize why i went through this journey it was yeah. like it's because of that of that conversation i had with my little girl
1: yeah oh man those those could be so profound and um yeah. it, it, i remember after i quit education and i actually had quite a bit of time on my hand because I had a business that was, you know, take not taking a lot of time from me, and um, I began to be that I was taking my kids to school every day. I was picking them up. I was with them a lot. And um, before that, if anybody knows my story, I was working nonstop. I was I was basically totally non-existent. And um, I remember driving my son to school and him in the backseat. I remember this. And, and and it made me cry on the way to, on, <laughs> on the way to taking him to school. He said, dad, he says, you know what I want to be when I grow up? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I want to be a daddy like you. And, you know, I don't know if he meant it the way I meant it, but I wasn't a dad. And then, and then I'm living this life for probably it was at that point, probably like six months where I was very invested and very attentive. And, 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 and I was just like, that was such a huge, huge moment for me to see. Whoa, like I really like the impact that this has changed. The legacy of, like, like this is going to be a legacy I need to pass on. Is that time and attention is important? Being present is important. Yep. Sounds like the sun in your eyes.
0: Yeah, that's what it is. Yes, yeah. it's, it's such. I. It's and now unless unless it's dangerous. I. I will drive with the sun in
1: my eyes. <laughs> and it can be dangerous. I can't see, but I don't care. I got the sun in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I always end my podcast with one question. And um, it can be a little heavy, so I hope you're, you're okay. And, and sometimes it takes a little time to kind of figure it out. But um, if you pass away and you have an opportunity, you just envision yourself having the opportunity to come back and kind of see your kids who are now adults, what would you see? that made you think or made, you know, I did things right.
0: Yeah, that is a deep question. I like that. So I have three kids. Um, I would see them immediately. I would see them smiling. I would see them, um, being surrounded by loved ones, by people that make them happy and that they are making happy that are they're they're supporting each other whatever that looks like in their own choices in life i them smiling around people that are making them happy and them living life on their terms they're they are not living life by what they feel like society wants them to be by what um you know there's in they're like their parents are predestined like Prescribe things that they feel like they should, they're they placed into a box, that they are living in the, this authentic way, that they are like, you know what, I'm waking up every morning and I get to decide what journey I'm going on today, because that's how I choose. And I, I believe that my kids will do this one day. They've heard me say, you know, God knows how many times to, to live life in a way that you can look in yourself in the mirror and know that someone else can breathe easier because of you. Mm. So if they're able to do that, and they're happy and they're smiling around loved ones, I think I would look back and and smile. I wouldn't. I wouldn't haunt them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't uh, do any scary shit in the middle of the
1: night. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I have the superpower. I can see back. On- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. I think that that part of they're they're giving, breathing life into other people. They're they're. From, you know. I mean,
0: that's what it's all about, right? I mean, you think about all these opportunities that you have. It doesn't necessarily have to be giving something financially. It could be giving your time. It could just be interacting with someone that maybe no one else interacts with. I, I drive past these guys all the time in, in Trenton, in central Jersey. It's a, you know, it's a tough area and there are guys on the side of the road, homeless guys that are, they have signs up and they're, they're asking for, for money. And I, sometimes I just stop, I give them bucks here and there and I'll bring them, you know, some food and t-shirts or underwear, things that they need. Sometimes I just stop and talk to them. And one thing that they told me is that there's so many people that drive past and that don't acknowledge them as human beings. So even just giving some kind of acknowledgement to people or just showing up in a way that people know that you see them and that you care about them. Sometimes that is, that's enough. That's enough of giving that people might need in the future.
1: I love that. It's not all about money. I mean, there's so much that we can give outside of money. You know, if I have money, I would make an impact in the world this way. And you're like, yeah, you could probably do that right now without money. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great output or great out, uh, outlook. Well, man, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. I do want to make sure that our audience understands how they can tune into Dennis, how they can hear your podcast, how they can reach out to you. And, um, you know, if some, if, if a listener reaches out to you and, or maybe they're going through divorce or they're, or they're going through some hard times, and they're like, man, this guy is the guy I need to, yeah. to be coaching me. I need, I need help. How, how do we get you?
0: Sure. So my podcast is Building Men. It's available on every podcast platform that's out there. Uh, my Instagram is building.men. Um, I'm pretty responsive on Building Men. I post there a couple times a day. A lot of it is just podcast interviews that I'm doing. I work on Building Men with my younger brother, Anthony, like I mentioned before. Uh, my email is buildingmencoach at gmail.com. Those are the main ways to get involved or to reach out to me. I have a Facebook and a an, um, uh, YouTube channel as well, but you can find all that through through Instagram.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll we'll give you an opportunity to uh, give us that information so we can throw it in the show notes, too. So if you didn't catch that, you can find the links in the show notes. Dennis, it's been an absolute honor. I have a feeling this isn't the last time we talk.
0: Oh, I (laughs) I know that for sure, Scott. I absolutely know that for sure. We're going to meet each other in person one day. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I know. We'll have to come up with a logo that involves both of the things as well.
1: And a very comfortable uh, kick ass shirt that fits With,
0: with tight sleeves. It's a little looser in the stomach.
1: That's right. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Uh, You know, you you know what I'm going to say. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from the Brotherhood of Fatherhood.